Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, John MacArthur, he's an interesting character. A lot of good good stuff he's got, but uh, his soteriology is rather strange. That's the doctrine of salvation. Um, he follows something called lordship salvation, oh, yeah. which is that you have to fully submit to the mastery of Jesus Christ, and if you fail at any point in your life, um, unless you basically die in perfect submission to Jesus Christ, your salvation is in question. Uh, it must be Lord of all or not Lord at all. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, that, for years. That, that is going to uh, interact with our passage here in John because uh, John MacArthur has a very strange interpretation of 1 John. Uh, he believes that it is um, a test of salvation, that when you're reading through 1 John, if you can say yes, amen to every one of these, then you can say yes, amen to your salvation. But John, in writing this epistle is intending for everyone reading it to already have that assurance of their salvation. And uh, based on that firm foundation of the assurance that they have in the blood of Jesus Christ, now they can grow in their fellowship and uh, depth of intimacy with Jesus Christ. Um, so the purpose of this book, as we're going to discuss tonight, is is not are you saved, but are you in fellowship? Uh, so um, I guess that is a good tie-in to... To where we're going next. Um, so I guess let's, let's jump right in. Um, so these, here's a list here of all the books that uh, John wrote. And this is not John the Baptist, but John the disciple of Jesus Christ. It's an easy mistake to make. Um, even even fourth year seminary students will, will make that mistake. Uh, his writings, as you can see in the context, the second portion here, uh, he wrote very late um, compared to the other writers of the New Testament. Um, the uh, the epistles of Peter were all, or uh, sorry, of Paul were all based in the fifties and sixties. Um, Paul, in fact, was martyred uh, in sixty seven A.D. So at this point, um, John had not written anything for the churches. Uh, so anywhere else, we're encountering. New Testament epistles or uh, letters to the churches, uh, none of them have read the Gospel of John or any of the epistles of John or the the book of Revelation because he didn't write these until the mid to late 80s and early 90s. Uh, so the context of the Gospel of John and the epistles of John is that all other scripture is already written and available. Uh, he's the last one to give us any addition to scripture. Uh, so the, the date that I have for 1 John is about 90 AD. He would have written it after the Gospel of John. And uh, the Gospel of John was written to introduce people to this new truth, this salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, so the, the uh, Gospel of John could be called an evangelical gospel. Its purpose is to convince people of the saving power of Jesus Christ through faith alone. First uh, John is really part two uh, to the Gospel of John, where it's essentially, now that I'm saved, now what? Uh, how ought I to live based on these truths that I now believe and based on my new position in Jesus Christ having salvation? Uh, a little more about John. Uh, he was probably the pastor at Ephesus after Timothy. Uh, the epistles of First and Second Timothy were written by Paul to Timothy, 
as he was beginning his ministry career at Ephesus. Uh, John likely took over after him. Uh, we don't know this from scripture, but from other accounts that are extra biblical. So we can't be too dogmatic about it. Uh, but history tells us John was the pastor at Ephesus before he was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he wrote Revelation. Uh, so this, uh, let me move a little further forward. Um, all right, so at Ephesus, uh, so it says here, strong tradition says that John spent his old age in Ephesus. Lack of personal reference in this letter indicates that it was written in a sermonic style to Christians all over Asia Minor, much like the book of Ephesians. Uh, it was probably written after the gospel and before the persecution under Domitian, uh, which places its writings in the late 80s or early 90s. Uh, so essentially what this, uh, what this shows us is that Paul's or sorry, John's purpose was not to write a letter to one specific church, but after a career of ministry, after a career of living in these truths, uh, he felt that um, certain doctrines were important to write down and share among the churches. Uh, when we get into the book of Revelation, which he also wrote, uh, we see the condition of some of the churches around Asia Minor, and we get a little more understanding about why he was writing about the importance of fellowship. Um, especially since he's going to base fellowship on proper doctrine. In uh, Revelation 2 and 3, he's correcting a lot of doctrine, um, what we would call syncretism, uh, that's happening in the churches where they're adapting truths from the uh, Greek or uh, Asia Minor religions. They're, they're allowing some of these doctrines into their church, and it's destroying the fellowship. Uh, so here... Uh, these letters are collection of sermons, uh, and they're probably summary statements of his preaching at Ephesus, uh, which is a local church in Asia Minor. Uh, and again, he didn't write it to any specific church. Uh, for example, uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he says to the Corinthian church. Uh, Paul wrote to the Romans, and he said to the church at Rome. In First John, he did not write it to any uh, individual church, but it was meant to be passed along. And that includes us today, uh, being that we are part of the body of the church. Uh, this letter was written for the express purpose of us reading it down throughout the ages. Uh, John is also going to identify with his audience. Um, so we're on page two of the outline. Uh, he's going to identify with his audience as fellow believers. Um, he'll commonly use the first person plural us uh, when talking about the assurance of faith. Um, he is anticipating that everyone listening to or reading this epistle is already saved. Um, so it's not going to be a test of salvation. Um, it's going to be um, a letter written to those who are already sure of their salvation. Based on that surety, he has more to say um, about the life of faith. Uh, so it's not an evangel evangelical letter. Um, it's a letter to fellow believers. The question of salvation has been settled in the past for each of John's intended readers. Uh, the purpose uh, for John's letter is rather hard to tell um, based on internal evidence. Often when we're trying to find a purpose for a book, why it was written, we'll look for internal evidence where the author will say, I'm writing to you for this purpose. 
Uh, John has four of these purpose statements in this book. Um, so often uh, it's, it's easy for an interpreter to go through and just grab onto one of these, and often it'll be one that's, that has a doctrinal reason why they've chosen this one over another one. But we want to understand John's intent, not some way that we can use it to preach a sermon we want to preach. Uh, so we want to understand why is John writing this, uh, this content at this time to these people. One of these um, I have written statements comes from 1 John 1, 4. Um, he says, I have written, or these things we write, so that our joy may be made complete. Um, so one possible purpose statement is uh, for our joy. Uh, and you'll see... Uh, I guess I didn't organize this as well as I could have. Under here, uh, we've got one, one through three. Uh, that's going to be what goes in the blanks after uh, this. Uh, and what we'll see through these four purpose statements is that John has just made a statement, and then he's going to tell us his purpose for that statement. Uh, so here in John 1, 1 through 4, he's written his first three verses, for the purpose of bringing us joy. Uh, moving on to John 2.1, uh, which is going to be the purpose statement for John 1, 5 through 10. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Uh, again, this has been uh, taken as a purpose statement for the entire book. Uh, John MacArthur doesn't grab onto this statement specifically as his purpose statement. We'll see that when we get to John 5. Uh, but he does use this to say that a, a Christian ought not to sin, and if they do sin, they ought to question their salvation. Uh, that's not at all what John is saying here. He's saying as Christians, we ought not to sin, uh, but he's not uh, putting salvation in question. He's putting fellowship in question. Uh, in 1 John 2.26... Um, he's writing these for the purpose, or he's, he's telling us his purpose for writing verses 18 through 25. Uh, that's a paragraph of thought there. So he says, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. He's warning the church about deceivers who are among them. So that's verses 18 through 25 of chapter 2. And then we get a pause, uh, and it's not until uh, John 5, uh, 13 that we get another purpose statement, and this should be uh, 5, 9 through 12, not 1, 9 through 12. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, this is probably the most common uh, verse that's grabbed onto as the purpose statement in John's book. Uh, but um, as we'll see, this isn't the best purpose statement. It gives us the purpose for what he'll write in 5, 9 through 12. Uh, and we'll, we'll look at that more later. Uh, but for now, we've got these four uh, different options for what is the purpose statement of the book of John or the epistle of John. What did you say it was that, for the purpose the last one? Was verses 9 through 12 of that chapter 5. Was... Chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. Yeah. No eternal life. Yeah. Oh, sorry. To believe in the name of the Son of God, so you know. 
yeah. to believe in the name of the Son of God so you know you have eternal life. Yeah, so to know that you have eternal life. Uh, this is the purpose statement that John MacArthur will grab on to another Lordship Salvation preachers. Uh, they'll say that this book's purpose is to test, do you have eternal life or not? Uh, for John, uh, he'll make multiple statements throughout the book saying, because you have eternal life and based on our shared experience of eternal life, uh, he, he identifies with them as having the same assurance of salvation as his readers. And John's not putting his own eternal life in question either here. He's, he's sure of that. Uh, but he has, in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 5, he has laid out basically a summary statement of this doctrine of um, salvation that doesn't control the whole book, but just this small portion of the book. Um, and hopefully we'll get to that into the fall. Uh, we'll look more at this statement uh, but for now, we're going to look at some of the reasons it's been grasped as a purpose statement. Uh, one reason is its similarity with the gospel of John's purpose statement. The purpose statement in the gospel of John is from chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name. So John's purpose in writing his gospel was to bring an unbeliever to faith in Christ. And based on that faith in Christ, he would have eternal life. The uh, comparison with 1 John 5.13 has similar elements. Uh, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, it seems as if he's written an epistle for the same purpose as his gospel. But what he's essentially done is packed into a few verses the basic doctrines of that gospel and told the readers that the purpose for these few verses is not the purpose for the whole epistle, but the purpose for these, um, these verses that um, they are already considered those who do believe um, and he wants them to make sure in these few verses um, that they know they have eternal life. Um, he's not written to them a test. Um, he's written basically to say this is our common foundation. Be sure that you share this common foundation with us. Uh, this is the verse that I believe is the actual purpose statement of the book. And why it's not often <laughs> found um, so easily is because it doesn't have a purpose statement of I have written these things to you. It says, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, the purpose of this epistle is so that we might know that we have fellowship. The verse immediately after this is one four where he gives us the purpose for writing verses 1 through 3. Uh, so I think that whole section of verses 1 through 4 is the purpose statement. But verse 4, it's kind of difficult to grab onto that alone and say this is the purpose statement. That's often why it's dismissed. Uh, one, one commentator that I read, uh, I guess, noticed an interesting pattern here that the Gospel of John, he puts his purpose at the very end of the book. He says he puts it on the back doorstep mm -hmm. so that once you've seen this 
these irrefutable facts that once you've come to this understanding of who Jesus is, uh, then comes the question, okay, now that I know all of these facts, what about it? Uh, and he says, essentially, that if you have believed these things, you have eternal life. First uh, John 1 uh, puts it on the front doorstep, where it's not going to wait until we finish the whole book to understand his purpose. Um, he's going to tell us right from the beginning that his purpose in writing this is for those who do believe so that we might grow in our fellowship with one another and with God. Um, so the Gospel of John's purpose statement is 20, 30 through 31. And the first epistle of John, the purpose statement, is uh, chapter 1, verse 3. So First John 1, 3 is going to be our purpose statement, uh, focusing on fellowship. And this is confirmed, again, as I mentioned already, uh, a possible purpose statement was John 1, 4. Uh, these things we write so that your joy may be made complete. Uh, this is talking about the promise of eternal life and the fellowship that follows it. When you put those two in conjunction together, you'll have complete joy in the promise of eternity. Uh, that we not only live our lives here on earth in fellowship, uh, and in such a way we live as God intended us to live, but we also live together with the joy and the anticipation of a life after this because God has promised to us through the uh, sure foundation of Jesus Christ's resurrection that we too will be resurrected in the last days. Um, and uh, whenever we see this promise of eternal life or the anticipation of the Lord's return and our resurrection, in conjunction with that is always a, uh, an exhortation to purify yourselves with that promise. Uh, so that, uh, that purifying of ourselves called sanctification, uh, which happens through abiding in Christ and in his word and in his body, which is the church, uh, that is only experienced by believers. Um, so again, not a call to salvation, but a call to fellowship. Uh, in verses 6 and 7, this purpose of fellowship is again confirmed to us where John will say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So again, his purpose here is not that if we are walking in darkness after we have eternal life, that we lose our salvation. Not at all. His, uh, what he is saying is that we break fellowship with God when we continue in our sins after salvation. Salvation is never based on how we live and how we act. Salvation is based only on the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, nevertheless, uh, once we attain that salvation, which we cannot lose, there are expectations about how we ought to live so that we'll have a fruitful life. Uh, in the, the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks to some believers who are not achieving this proper fellowship, and he calls them carnal believers. Um, he says, you who do not practice um, the things of God, but who are living in carnality. He says, up until now, I've only given you milk, and I long to give you meat. Uh, these carnal believers are not yet ready to enter into deeper fellowship, either with the body or with God through um, abiding in him. Uh, 
Cyrus Schofield um, has written what I think is one of the best um, summaries of the theme and purpose of uh, the book of 1 John. So what Schofield says about this epistle, he says, 1 John is a family letter from the father to his little children who are in the world. With the possible exception of the Song of Solomon, it is the most intimate of the inspired writings. The world is viewed as without. The sin of a believer is treated as a child's offense against his father and is dealt with as a family matter. The moral government of the universe is not in question. The child's sin is an offense against the, or as an offense against the law has been met at the cross. And Jesus Christ the righteous is now his advocate with the father. John's gospel leads across the threshold of the father's house. His first epistle makes us at home there. A tender word is used for children, the Greek word technia, or born ones, barons. Paul is occupied with our public position as sons, but John is uh, occupied with our nearness as born ones of the father. So, uh, To me, the fact that this book is written not by Paul and not by James, not by Peter, but by John, is very telling. John was a very close and intimate disciple with Jesus Christ. Um, In fact, uh, John often writes of himself as the one who Jesus loved. Uh, Jesus had various layers to his fellowship um, on earth. He had fellowship with the 70, which he sent out in Matthew 10. He sent out 70 different disciples into Israel to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He had fellowship with his 12. Uh, He had fellowship in a much more intimate sense with three particular disciples, uh, John, James, and Peter. But his most intimate circle of fellowship was between he and John. Uh, And after a lifetime of pondering this truth of this relationship that he had both on earth and now within the body of Jesus Christ, the church, Uh, John has sat down to write what he thinks is the most important information for Christians to understand, which is now that we have the salvation, now that we have this common inheritance of eternal life, how ought we to live waiting for his return? Uh, So that's what Paul, or that's what John is writing to us here. And in so doing, he's written probably the most intimate letter in the entire Bible. Uh, It's written to children. Uh, of God. And this, this word technia is only ever used of believers by John. Uh, and uh, he's, he's taking them in as sons, sons of God, and uh, treating their sins as offenses against a father. We could think of the parable of the prodigal son, uh, where the father put no, uh, no conditions on his return, but welcomed him back gladly and with a banquet. Uh, that when we fall out of fellowship with the Father, uh, he desires for us to return uh, into fellowship with him. And this letter is calling us into fellowship. Uh, All right, we're on to our third page here. Uh, Here's another theme or purpose statement. This is by Dennis Roxer, uh, a pastor out in... Oh, Minnesota. He says, First John gives the conditions and evidences of fellowship with God for the believer in Christ. So here, as we go through uh, week by week, we're going to look at various conditions and evidences, not of our salvation, uh, but of our fellowship. And we can ask ourselves as we go through, 
are we in fellowship with God the Father? Are we in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ? And are we in fellowship with one another as the body of Christ? Um, all right. What were those things? Oh, the, never oh. Uh, I, it was verbal. That. God the Father, Jesus Christ, yeah. and the body of Jesus Christ. All right. So the last, uh, the last thing we're going to discuss uh, here uh, is going to be important as a foundational understanding as we progress through the book of John. Uh, and it's something that isn't really taught outside of dispensational theology. Uh, it's that do we understand the three tenses of salvation? Salvation is often talked about, especially in Reformed theology, as um, quite honestly as a future uh, thing that we reach final salvation at the time of our death. If we have lived a life of perseverance, we can be sure of our salvation. Uh, but a biblical understanding uh, does not put our assurance of salvation in the future. It puts it in the past. And it puts it in the past at the cross of Jesus Christ where he paid for our salvation. That when we come to him on a faith basis, we can understand with absolute assurance um, that we have the promise of future life and that we can't for any reason lose that. That it's not up to us after we have believed whether or not we're saved. Uh, we're held in the double grip of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Uh, that not Satan and not ourselves, not anything can take us out of that double grip. After the question of justification, after we have been saved um, and given eternal life, the question of sanctification arises. Sanctification is not means of achieving our salvation. It's something that we can only, um, we can only begin once we have been saved. That only through the power of Jesus Christ can we be sanctified. There's nothing we can do to sanctify ourselves. Uh, when Jesus is teaching his disciples uh, in uh, John 14, I think it's John 14, uh, to abide in the vine, uh, he's not teaching them to go out and do all of these works and then know that they've been sanctified. But as they rest in the promises of Jesus Christ, these, uh, this fruit will be born through them. That it's not something that they ought to produce, but something that will be produced through them as they rest in Jesus Christ. And this is the path of our sanctification, that as we abide with Jesus Christ, as we await his coming, uh, we'll naturally be spurred on towards good works, but those good works are a result of Jesus Christ working in us. Uh, and then finally, uh, we await uh, the final tense of salvation, which is our glorification with Christ, that at the last day we will be glorified with him, that uh, Paul speaks of Jesus Christ as the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. Uh, and we can be sure that just as Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, that uh, if we go to the grave before his return, we'll be taken up from the grave. And if we've not yet gone to the grave at the time of his return, that we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. But immediately after that, we are glorified with him in heaven. Uh, Philippians 1.6 uh, tells us about this glorification. And he says that he who began a good work in us, that would be our past justification and the beginning of the work of sanctification, he will continue until the day of the Lord. And on the day of the Lord will be glorified with him in heaven. Romans 5.1-2 has all three of these tenses in its view. Uh, Paul says to the Romans, Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. That's our current sanctification. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And that's our future glorification. John is also well aware of these three tenses of salvation. Uh, here in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, uh, he doesn't put them in the same order uh, because his purpose in writing this book is to highlight our sanctification, which is the middle uh, tense of our salvation. Uh, so he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. So that's on the firm foundation of his justification. We have the hope of a future glorification. And he concludes, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him, Jesus Christ, purifies himself just as he is pure. So as we hope for the Lord's return with the promise that we will be uh, included in that return, uh, we purify ourselves and we sanctify ourselves through Jesus Christ. All right, so uh, next time we meet, we're going to uh, study 1 John 1, 1 through 4, which is the purpose statement, but in his purpose statement, he's going to introduce us to a few, uh, a few truths that we all must be in agreement about in order to begin uh, building on our fellowship with one another. Um, unless there's agreement on these simple truths of Christ's person and deity, uh, fellowship breaks down very early um, in the process that unless we share that, uh, that common knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, uh, fellowship within the body is going to be impossible. Uh, so I'll read through these uh, four verses and then uh, we'll close in prayer. Over the next two or three weeks before we uh, meet again, Go over these four verses and perhaps read through the Epistle of John. It's five chapters, so if you read uh, one a week, uh, you won't quite finish by the next time we meet, uh, but you'll be well on your way. So 1 John 1, 1 through 4 states, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. All right, so let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the firm foundation of salvation based on your finished work on the cross. We thank you that we can be absolutely sure of our future glorification and that living in the hope of that, uh, of that glorious day, we can grow in fellowship with one another and overcome the obstacles that the evil one will throw at us, holding up always the field, shield of faith. Uh, Lord, we ask that you uh, guide us as we progress through this study, as we desire to know more about who you are, 
as we know that your scripture is your revelation of yourself to us. So Lord, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds to understand and to comprehend what you have told to us uh, through the apostles here in the epistles. So Lord, uh, we thank you and we give all the glory to you. And we pray all these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right.